Okay, so you've had uh, a meal, and you've been uh, and you've digested. Uh, hopefully, the blockchain talk, and you're going to notice my tone is going to change. Um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, 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 this is a, a, a it is a far out topic. You know, uh, blockchain was just tech, so that was sort of politically neutral. It's just a new tool. But uh, this really does represent something fundamental, you know, something that is, uh, as I said, a societal change, level change. And uh, it is a bit hard to get your mind around it, but when you start thinking about it, you know, given that we're living in this digital world and um, this money system that we have today, what's called the fiat money system, is relatively new, uh, a bit of an experiment itself, you know, only about 45 years or so old. Uh, what all we're doing when we propose something like Bitcoin is we're saying, how about we go back to the way things were, but in a digital form? Um, so I'm going to be talking about money now and um, trying to show you why people like myself uh, really are taking this very seriously. And uh, uh, we'll show you how, you know, I'll, I'll sort of take you on a, on a journey through, the, you know, what's going on in the world and where we've come from and... and, uh, and um, and uh, the promise that this has, and uh, hopefully after this you'll, you'll leave here thinking seriously about this topic, not just looking at those high returns that you might have earned if you had uh, bought in a Bitcoin or two a year ago, um, but uh, take it seriously. You know, this is, uh, uh, it is a, it, again, it is a difficult thing to try and sell, especially when, if you're comfortable with the status quo and the way things are, and you don't like change. Obviously this is going to be something that uh, grates you a little bit. But if you are dynamic and uh, innovative and interested in, in you know, uh, making sure that the, the world doesn't leave you behind, then this is something that's worth considering. Okay. And it's not just me who's saying this. Um, and uh, again, I, you know, I've been involved. Uh, I first found Bitcoin about six years ago and, you know, uh, was amazed by it. And then only two years ago, the world kind of started talking about blockchain and, you know, uh, now, now it looks like we're pivoting back into Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is becoming a subject of, you know, relevance. So let me try and take you on this journey and see if I can, if I can bring you to where I am right now. Okay. Um, all right. Okay, so uh, this is going to be a bit more, more like school, in fact, because I want to now take you into the, the workings of, um, of Bitcoin. I know I told you about this, uh, this distributed database, but I want to now show it to you in your terms. I want, you know, you all deal with ledgers, and you all deal with spreadsheets, and you all deal with money. So I want to now draw this picture into, in, in a way that you can understand. So it's going to be a little bit like school, but hang in there, and at the end of it you're going to be uh, enlightened and excited, I hope. Okay. So, um, all right, so the outline is just going to be uh, the history motivation, how it works, and why it's important. So if you want to know where we're going to go and what's, how this is going to look, this is what it's, what it's going to be. All right. But uh, first things first, uh, uh, I'm sure you've heard that uh, Bitcoin is a digital currency. That's not uh, actually true. You know, uh, if you use bank accounts and use credit cards and debit cards, and you, you've been using a digital currency all this time. Digital just means that you don't transact with paper or, or, or coins. Uh, you did, you, so Bitcoin, although it is a digital currency, it's not correctly termed a digital currency, nor is it a virtual currency. Now, even our, our Reserve Bank has got a paper out on virtual currencies but um, virtual currencies, all they are, are currencies that operate within some kind of closed ecosystem. So if you think about games, games have currencies. You know, like Warcraft has gold and, and millions of other games have their own little in-game currency. 
The thing about that kind of currency is that it works well within the environment or the ecosystem, but it doesn't work very well out of it. I can't I promise to pay you with, with uh, Warcraft Gold or Second Life Lindens. Um, so a virtu- or e-bucks. You know, e-bucks is a virtual currency, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, something that has value and you can trade within the, the, the e-bucks ecosystem. But uh, it's not going to work if you want to go and buy something from a, a partner, a, a person who's not part of that partnership. So the correct word when you talk about Bitcoin is going to be cryptocurrency. Now, I don't want to uh, talk jargon here. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about cryptography and, and networking and all those confusing things. As I said, I want to make this a, a discussion about uh, you know, what it means for you and, and in terms you understand. So uh, the only word I will use right now is crypto. Because if you want to sound impressive at cocktail parties, you can say, no, no, Bitcoin's a, a cryptocurrency. And all it stands for is cryptography. Now, cryptography isn't new either. You know, cryptography has been around for, or forever. You know, ever since there have been digital networks and banks. Banks use cryptography. Uh, mili- the military use cryptography. So all we have now is a new kind of currency. It's digital, but it's not virtual. You know, it can actually work with anybody. You don't have to be somebody who signed up for it. You know, you don't have to be a partner in Bitcoin. And it's a new, so it's a new kind of uh, digital currency, a cryptocurrency, a currency that is secured with cryptography. Okay, and that's the only time I'm going to now uh, use jargon with you. Okay, but it's because I want you to, to be able to be impressive at cocktail parties. Okay, okay. So let's now look at the the the, the way the world works currently. If we are a, a bank, all right. What we have is we've got a database, and in that database we've got records of uh, uh, our customers. So we've got accounts. And those accounts have balances. And every time you want to make a transaction, what happens is you go to the bank and you say, please, could you now debit value from my bank account? And can you please go and credit value in uh, another person's account? And if it's a a different bank, then that bank has their own ledger or their own database. And uh, what they do then is they update their information. So if you understand this, then you're actually halfway there to understanding how Bitcoin works. All right. Now... For a long time, there have been uh, uh, people who've been trying to figure out how can we create, uh, instead of having these ledgers that um, uh, operate uh, in, in this way, where you have a, an entity like a bank, and what you want to do when you want to transact is you have to ask that bank to transact on your behalf, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a, a, a different sort of system? Now, you know that when you, when you uh, go to a retailer, let's say you want to go pay something online or you go to a, a, a merchant, then what you do is you go and hand over your credit card information. But now there's not money flying from that credit card into the, into the merchant's account. What actually happens there is that all you're doing is you're sending an instruction to the bank who owns your bank account and saying, I'm authorizing a transaction. I need to now move value from my bank account into the merchant's bank account. Okay. And uh, uh, that is how we, we transact today. But for decades, literally, uh, people have been trying to figure out how to now create a different sort of system where there isn't a, a, a bank that's sitting there holding um, value on behalf of somebody else. Uh, instead of that, imagine if you could have digital cash. Uh, in other words, something that you hold on your person. If you, you, you actually are in physical possession of it, much like you do have uh, uh, RANs uh, in, your, in your wallet, physical notes and coins. Uh, people have been trying to figure out, researchers and economists have been trying to figure out how can we create a digital cash token, which means that those people can own it, they can control it, and if they want to, they can send it out to, to uh, somebody if they're making a payment. So um, 
here we have now the, the situation where there can be an issuer. So let's say a central bank decides to issue a cash token. And this is, again, uh, the question earlier on was, what is uh, the Reserve Bank thinking about? What are all Reserve Bank, think, Reserve bank thinking, thinking about? They're thinking about this. How to create a digital cash token, and then you can now, in a peer-to-peer -peer way, instead of having to go via some intermediary, actually go and send your cash token to the recipient. Now, this has been uh, ongoing for uh, decades. People have been trying to figure this out, and there were a number of attempts, lots of companies, um, but they all fell afoul of, of regulations, or the technology didn't work very well. Um, but this has been a, a problem that's been worked on for a long time. So actually, it's been inevitable that we eventually came up with a solution that uh, uh, acted like this. And uh, the only difference is that it doesn't work precisely like this. Bitcoin doesn't work like this. Bitcoin isn't a token that you now are going to receive from somebody and then you can store it in your own digital wallet and you can send it from peer to peer. Bitcoin works very much like a bank where there is a, a ledger but remember I told you that ledger now is a blockchain and that's decentralized and nobody actually controls or governs it. And what you can do is uh, you can now transact using that ledger. So if we think about the, the system that we have now, here's our ledger. We don't have our bank account anymore. We don't have a bank governing that. Instead, what we have now are all these volunteers around the world that are now hosting a copy of that ledger. So now can you see there's no one person that's involved or, or controlling that ledger. That ledger is distributed and now decentralized around the world. And those volunteers, they're not just doing this for, uh, you know, to be nice. What they do is by processing these transactions. So every time you, you process a transaction at a bank, they've got a server that's running and it's now doing some processing and some calculation. These computers out there, these volunteers, they are, are going to be processing transactions on our behalf. And to do that, they want to be rewarded and incentivized. And so the way Bitcoin works is that every time one of these computers out there that process a transaction actually do the job of doing a process, processing a transaction, or, or what we call a group of transactions, or a block of transactions, then what happens is they get rewarded a new currency that comes into the system. So if you've ever heard about this concept of mining, Bitcoin mining, making Bitcoin out of thin air, that's actually what it is. It's now this, all these volunteers, these computers, processing transactions, and every time they get to process a transaction, then they're going to be earning money in return. Okay. Either they're going to get fees, which are, are, are actually built into the, the transaction, they're going to get the fees, and they're going to get new Bitcoins that get created. So if you understand that whole system, then you've pretty much understood how the, the Bitcoin system works. So there's now this... Uh, uh, he, let's say that computer processed some transactions. He earned 12 and a half bitcoins. This is an amount that changes over time. Eventually what happens is uh, that reward, every time a, a computer processes a transaction, gets halved and then halved and then a few years later gets halved, a few years later gets halved until we reach zero rewards for processing transactions. And the only way that those, those volunteers can earn money is by earning the fees on the transaction. So it becomes a self a sufficient self-regulating system um, but a very important concept is that um, uh, we, what we're going to do ultimately one day is reach the limit of number of the limit of number of new bitcoins that can be created in the system we have a finite supply that's going to be reached one day in about 120 or so years now that sounds far out um, I'll quickly tell you a story about being things that are far out uh, I said to, uh, to Merrill uh, in, a, in, in a tea break I told my, my, my sons, I've got four of them, that in five billion years' time, the sun is going to turn into a red dwarf and consume the earth. 
and they're all horrified, you know, that this, this notion can actually happen. But uh, 500 billion years is a long time. Anyway, 120 years does, seems like a long time, but it's inevitable it will happen. We will eventually reach the supply of, uh, the finite supply of bitcoins. But now this is the process. We now have a distributed decentralized ledger, and every time you want to now go and transact, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be sending a transaction message out to these guys. One of them is going to pick it up and process it. And by doing you that favor, they're going to earn money. Okay. But the most important word, again, is decentralization. Can you see that nobody is governing or controlling the system? It's self-regulating. Um, and that's, that's why we can now have uh, confidence that, okay, sure, uh, uh, um, we, we, we now can see that the system is running. And if you want to go and opt in to the system and buy into the system, literally, well, then you can be confident that no one's ever going to come along and change the rules. And, you know, uh, for example, if we think about um, banks, the way bank, banks operate, when you give a bank your deposit money, you're not actually depositing it, you're loaning it to the bank, and, you know, bad times can happen, and, and uh, banks can do stuff with your money. So here we have now a system where nobody controls that, uh, those rules. There's no human being that now can come and introduce some arbitrary rule that will uh, mess with the system. This system is fixed. It's decentralized. Most important word that there is. So let's just quickly look at that ledger again. How is it structured? Well, what we have, this is just generally what it looks like. You've got a sender, and that's an account number. Here I've just got uh, some addresses, what are our addresses. You have a receiver, and you have an amount. Now, the way uh, uh, Bitcoin works is that these, pro these transactions are all grouped together in blocks every uh, 10 minutes or so, and then they get processed, and then added and updates, and they update the, the ledger itself. 10 minutes goes by, and another group of transactions gets processed. Can you see now what we've got is we've got blocks chained together. There's your blockchain. So remember I told you that that's, what, uh, that's all it is, and that's what a blockchain is. So now you can literally go into people and say, I understand it 100%. Be sure to add blockchain now to your LinkedIn profile as a, as a skill. Okay. Okay, so now what we have is actually incredible. You know, if we think about the cloud, you know, the cloud is always, we hear about the cloud, and it's this big uh, amorphous thing, but really a cloud isn't very special, it's just hosted servers. But what blockchain has given us, and the Bitcoin blockchain, has given us a true cloud, where there's no location that, uh, you know, where uh, your information is stored. You know, 99.999% of these machines can go down, and if there's one computer on the network that's still up, Bitcoin is working. The blockchain is working. So it's truly distributed and decentralized. It's a real cloud. This is, for the first time, a real cloud. But more than that, it's become a big public resource. So now anybody, without permission, if you follow the rules, can now go and create an address on the, on the Bitcoin blockchain. You can now send funds. You can receive funds. Anybody can do it. You can, you can be an individual or you can be an organization. So we now have this public resource. It's kind of like the internet. You know, if you want to build a website on the internet, you don't have to ask anybody's permission. If you've got a server, you can just hook it up to the internet, right? And now you're live. That's what the promise of the internet was, to be able to democratize information where anybody can have a voice. But uh, we know what happened. You know, the internet sort of ended up in these big silos, you know, Google search and Facebook social networks. Um, but here we now have a true public resource that anybody can use. And uh, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, I read in the news about you know, our correspondent banking issues you know, around the world. Um, you know, South African banks are now you know, are not being in trouble or whatever it is. But now you know, this is essentially a big public uh, foreign exchange platform. You know, if you have uh, funds in this country, you can now tap into this resource and you can now go and move uh, money uh, literally around the world and you don't need to have any relationships with anybody. You know, uh, it's, it's uh, available. So it's really incredible. 
You know, for the first time in history, we have this system that uh, is, uh, is, it's almost like this, this creature that now has been born, or Pandora's box, and it can never be shut. No one can ever shut down Bitcoin. It's, uh, it's available uh, for us to use. So, uh, you know, if, if this doesn't give you confidence, at least it must give you inspiration and make you feel like, wow, this is uh, something truly unique, uh, something that has given us the ability now, uh, without permission, without uh, filling in forms, to be able to transact on this, uh, on this uh, big public resource. But now, what I want to do is try and convince you that it's worth those, those, little, those little values or those bitcoins um, and remember, uh, there is no actual physical thing as a Bitcoin. Um, a Bitcoin is just an entry in a ledger. It just says, you know, if my account number is 1001, it just says 50. And now I have 50 numbers, and we, we'll call them Bitcoins. And if I want to send you 10, I can just now de uh, deduct 10 from my balance and, and give you 10. So there's no tokens flying around. It's just this big ledger in the sky that's recording these transactions and moving uh, amounts from one person to another. Quite incredible. But then why should you now consider those numbers as valuable? Why should you consider one of those numbers to be worth, what is it, 14,500 Rand now? Um, where did that value come from? You know, a lot of times people have asked me, what's backing Bitcoin? You know, uh, where does it come? You know, there's no government backing it. You know, I know our fiat rands actually don't have any intrinsic value, but we sort of, we back, it's backed by our faith and confidence that the government can run the country properly and can tax its citizens and not uh, hyperinflate its currency. But what's backing Bitcoin? And why are people now essentially moving out of uh, uh, Bitcoin? Sorry, I forgot to mention that if you want to now um, uh, access money on, a, on an account, you do need a very important thing which is called uh, it's like a password it's called your private key so all that does is that give you access to your account and if you uh, that's the only thing you have in your possession um, you don't actually have you know if I have uh, 10 bitcoins in this country um, uh, the government can't come to me and say okay those those 10 bitcoins are now in South Africa now it's in our jurisdiction you know we want to be able to tax it bitcoins don't exist in any country they exist around the entire world uh, there is no jurisdiction where these things exist um, but you do own your key. That is the one thing that, uh, uh, that you do have in your possession. And uh, that unlocks value on that uh, blockchain. And now you can transact. And if you lose that private key, it's kind of like you losing your pin to your credit card or whatever. You know, uh, Somebody can take that private key and steal your, all your money. So you know, that's the one thing that you should look after. But there's no location. There's no geolocation where this database exists or these, these coins exist. If you have 1,000 Bitcoins, you have a thousand bitcoins in the world. You don't have them in, in South Africa. So actually, the whole notion of moving money in Bitcoin from South Africa to China makes no sense whatsoever because it never does move from one to the other. All it says when you do that is saying, okay, Lauren, who owns this key, who is currently located in South Africa, moved a thousand bitcoins to this address over here, and the person who owns that key is currently located, located in China. But, uh, you know, you can travel around the world. It doesn't make a difference. There's no, no locality where this stuff exists, except your private key. So why are people now uh, uh, deciding to do this? Move out of uh, rands or, or dollars, you know, spending their, taking their hard-earned rands and now pushing them into these numbers, you know, these, these bitcoins that exist in the cloud. What are, what's the motivation? And uh, this is now the, uh, where we start kind of going down the rabbit hole. You know, we have to think about uh, uh, not just uh, the way kids think. You know, one of the, the important things about uh, uh, something like Bitcoin is that it actually fits very well with uh, the way uh, uh, young people are today. I mean, I remember, uh, I'm 40 now, but I remember clearly playing computer games and 
thinking it was very valuable if I would play for several hours, I'd earn some kind of game currency. You know, that had value for me. I could do whatever with it. This is how the world is. This is how kids are now today. You know, the, the, the holding digital assets that can have tangible value, that's, that's, that is a, a common notion for uh, uh, young people today. Maybe for all of us who are, who are a bit older, it doesn't make sense. But um, this whole idea of gamification, you know, if you are earning credits or you're earning points or you're earning this, you know, those things uh, are all worth something if they can be translated into something else. You know, if you can take your air miles, for example, and actually turn them into flights, you know. Um, so what we have now is we have this kind of global uh, digital uh, loyalty point or um, a token that is, is like a game, you know, a, a digital token that represents real world value. So this is not so alien for uh, uh, you know in this generation, the generation that's that's here. That having a digital token that represents value, easy. I mean that's uh, no problem. I, I'm convinced. My my son, by the way, is turning two today, and uh, I can be sure that he will never want or even think about using uh, rands. Or you know, by the time he's old enough, he's going to be quite confident, quite happy to think that he, this token, which represents value, is considered a real asset. You know, uh, a real money. But it's deeper than that, you know, uh, and this now we're going to talk about a lot of big macro trends. You know, the, the world is changing and uh, there are lots of issues in the world, lots of problems. And it's being reflected in the price of, this, of Bitcoin. There's a lot of uncertainty. And uh, I want to now just highlight some of those, those points. Now, I'm an independent person. I'm not, I'm not a part of a banking system. I'm not part of any of that. So I can speak freely about what's going on, but I know that a lot of things that I mentioned now, especially when I've addressed the Reserve Bank, and I have done uh, repeatedly multiple times, and I talk like this, which I'm about to, you know, I get a lot of kind of squints, and a lot, you know, a lot of people think I'm crazy, but uh, uh, I'm not going to be, um, you know, I'm going to be talking about real things here that, that are real concerns, real issues that are making people think seriously about hedging against that uncertainty or looking at an alternative, something that uh, cannot be you know, compromised or manipulated. So let's go and have a look at that survey. But the first thing I want to do is talk about the positive trends. What is drawing people towards Bitcoin as a store of value? And uh, there are a number of them, and I'm just going to give you a few, but uh, you know, the more you think about it, uh, the more you can find. So um, the first thing is, is that Bitcoin actually has a lot of properties of money. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what makes money money, but there, it's actually quite simple. There's a, a number of things that make something a good form of money. And throughout history, we've had all sorts of monies. We know we've had shells and pepper and sticks and whatever. You know, there's all these things that have been money at some point in, in history. And if you look at what makes what 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 um, is is um, similar between them, uh, you'll notice that one of the most important properties of money is that it's a medium of exchange. You know, if you want to go and buy something with someone, you you, you want to be able to carry a, a, something that is easy you know easy to be carried, and, and you can hand over a medium of exchange. Uh, there are other things that have been valuable throughout history, but there haven't been a good medium of exchange, like a cow, for example. It's valuable, but um, it's not easy to, to lug around with you. Uh, so it hasn't been good money, although it is valuable. Um, another one of them is um, a, a store of value. Now, a store of value is, a, is a very interesting uh, when you think about what makes something a good store of value. And uh, uh, all, it, all that is, is uh, uh, how limited something is. You know, if something is, is uh, uh, common, it, it's less valuable than something that is rare. So if you are somebody who likes rare antiques or uh, you know, something that's, that's unique, that you're a collector, then you can you understand uh, what I'm talking about. Um, but these two things, uh, properties of uh, money and properties of gold. Um, also, another property about money is that it must be divisible, it must be durable, it must be fungible. You know what fungible means? 
It means exchangeable. If you have a rand in your pocket and I have a rand and yours is newer and shinier, it doesn't make any difference. It's fungible. We can swap and we settled. Okay? But why has gold been the perfect form of money for so many uh, uh, thousands of years, literally? Because of that store of value that's limited supply, as well as all the fact that it makes, it's, it, it's all those things that make something good money. The fact that gold is very durable, you know, you can drop a gold coin at the bottom of the ocean for 100 years and it'll still emerge all shiny and new. Um, it is divisible, you know, you, if you want to buy something that's worth half an ounce, you can just melt it down. Diamonds are not good form of money because a million rand diamond cut in half is not five, two or five hundred thousand rand diamonds. Um, also, diamonds aren't fungible because one diamond, even if they weigh the same, one might be shinier or, or, or color, the color might be different or it might have a flaw in it in some respect. So diamonds have not been a good form of money. But Bitcoin is actually very much like these two things. It's a medium of exchange. Oh, and another one is a unit of account. A unit of account is the way you measure the value of something. So if you think of the centimeter, that's a unit of measure. You know, this is one centimeter, that's two centimeters. Now I know this is longer. Gold is a good uh, unit of account because this is worth half an ounce, and this is worth one ounce. Now I know that this is more, more valuable. Rands are, are actually a good unit of account because it's numeric. Okay, it's a piece of paper, but all it is is a number. This is worth 10, that's worth 20. Bitcoin, what is it? It's a number. So it's a good unit of account. So can you see all these properties that we apply and we attribute to money, what makes something good money, is, uh, is, is attributable to Bitcoin. But the properties of gold, meaning that it has a finite supply, gives it that extra special quality uh, of a, a store of value. Okay. Now I know that the price has been volatile. We're going to look at the, the volatility of that price, and they're very easy to understand reasons for that. But um, at least uh, Bitcoin has the same properties as money. So sure, uh, maybe it's going to be, take some convincing before we all put all our life savings into it. But at least we can be sure that it definitely ticks all the boxes when we start evaluating something as money okay, and uh, as gold. Now I talked about the, 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 you know, the millennials and, and down. You know, this is the world that they are, are familiar with. Um, um, and uh, uh, you know, I read a survey saying that millennials would rather go to the dentist than stand in a bank queue. You know, that's why all these fintechs are doing so well. You know, because fintechs are, 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 are focusing on the customer, focusing on young people, know that they are, are, are on mobile and social networking. And uh, this fits very well with that, you know, this kind of uh, unique, uh, fun, interesting, novel, you know, modern uh, thing that's outside of that stuffy world of banking with tall buildings and suits and ties and, and all that. So we cannot, we cannot disregard them. You know, millennials and down are uh, they the next generation and uh, they will be defining the way the world works. So um, given that uh, Bitcoin is, does, does very well as money and that uh, it's unique and novel is a driving factor into why people are, are getting into it. And also, there's a lot of services now coming up uh, in terms of Bitcoin. You know, if you want to buy and sell Bitcoin, just by, you know, in so many countries, even South Africa, I think we've got four exchanges, excuse me, it's four exchanges now. And Luna is uh, uh, the, the best one, uh, the one that uh, I think we, I trust more than others. But right now, if I want to go and buy a Bitcoin, no problem. I can just go onto the exchange. I can EFT some cash, find somebody who wants to buy. You know, it's a, an exchange, so it's posted an offer or a buy order or whatever, and suddenly I can have Bitcoin. So it's becoming very easy nowadays to have Bitcoin and to get Bitcoin. No, in, in, the way I first got Bitcoin, I can tell you that story later, but it was a huge mission. And there were no exchanges in those days. Um, so the fact that these services are coming up, and now my uh, own business is, uh, uh, is uh, doing uh, uh, this sort of thing. I'll explain it more later. Do you know that uh, uh, New, York, New York Stock Exchange has just listed a, a Bitcoin uh, 
uh, investment trust, and now there's an ETF that's coming along uh, uh, by the you know the guys who who, who uh, didn't actually start Facebook, but uh, you know the Winklevoss twins. They uh, they had that issue with Mark Zuckerberg, and anyway, they got to have this uh, Bitcoin ETF that they're trying to launch. So now it's becoming easier for more mainstream investors who don't understand Bitcoin and not don't know what's going on. Now you can easily go and just you know buy into an ETF, and suddenly now you're invested in Bitcoin. Um, and and uh, uh, so now, can you see how it's growing up? You know, it's not just for uh, people who you know are enthusiasts or techies or geeks or youngsters or whatever. You know, it's now reached that world. Um, so it, those things are happening. Um, now, a very important thing, uh, uh, I chuck it in here, but it's it, it's the idea of programmability. Now, all that means is that Bitcoin is software. It you know it's 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 uh, something that you can write software. And you can use it to do things like smart contracts, and you can now programmatically make payments. You know, you don't have to integrate into a banking system to issue payment instructions. You can literally, in your software program, have uh, access to bitcoins, and then you can code up anything you imagine, and uh, you can now uh, make payments. Now, I know that if you're not a, a software engineer or someone like that, that might seem a little bit far out there, but that is incredible uh, strength. And I've spent years you know, integrating into payment gateways and doing all that, and it's a huge pain. And um, Now it's so easy. If I want to now write a little app that just makes payments or you know, make a game even, uh, and there are games that exist now, even on Facebook, I, th I think it's on Facebook, but there are games that, that you know, instead of earning some virtual currency in the game, you can actually earn Bitcoins, and the game pays out. Uh, there's casinos as well doing that. Um, and then uh, another important thing is now this is for merchants, you know, and also for uh, uh, consumers. You know, if I go to the credit, if I go pay with my credit card, what am I doing? I'm handing over my sensitive information. I'm saying, here's my credit card information. Uh, it's like giving them my wallet. Please take what I owe you. Don't lose the credit card information. Um, also, from a uh, from a merchant perspective, you know, if I give my credit card online, the merchant has to be convinced that I am the person who owns that credit card, or else what's going to happen? There's going to be a chargeback. Those are that's be all because credit cards are pool payments. What's happening is somebody's reaching into my credit card and pulling money out. And as soon as that happens, suddenly I have recourse. I can say, no, I didn't authorize that. Well, that's not allowed. I want my money back. And now, you know, fees and insurance and all that has to be uh, built into the system. Bitcoin is push. If I want to pay you, I physically have to take my money and hand it over to you. Now, no one can deny if I have that key which says that I own that money. If I hand you that Bitcoin, nobody can say, listen, I, I didn't take that. Uh, uh, I was given it. So for merchants, this is great because it eliminates that whole uh, issue of having uh, the char chargeback fraud. All right. So um, very important uh, aspect about Bitcoin, being a push payment. Um, so it's not disputable. And uh, it's peer-to-peer. -peer. Again, you know, if I'm sending money to somebody, I'm not going through an intermediary that's taking fees or delays or anything like that. That money goes from my Bitcoin account directly to your Bitcoin account. And you can be anywhere in the world and it makes no difference. This is a... Again, this is a, an, there's no geographic location where these exist. Um, and it introduces an incredible amount of security and uh, efficiencies in, in the system. Um, it's a global platform. It's everywhere and anywhere. And uh, uh, the merchant acceptance thing is now growing and growing. Now, I have a, another company called Centbee, which is uh, uh, working to try and make sure that one day when you go to Woolworths, you can pay with Bitcoin. Or if you don't want to go to an online exchange because it's too complicated, you can go into Checkers and you can buy a prepaid card with Bitcoin in it and you can scan it into your phone and you can now have Bitcoin with cash. So I am trying to do all these things and I'm not the only one. There's other companies around the world all trying to make it easy for you to use it and spend it and get it. 
Um, and because of th those types of businesses, um, you're going to start seeing it more and more, and it's going to become easier and easier to use. And suddenly now, it's not just going to be this complicated thing that you need to have a computer science degree to understand. Now it's going to be something that my gran, if she ever wants to, can go and, and transact with Bitcoin. So given all these things, and there are many of the, uh, uh, others that are now making Bitcoin much more attractive, much more user-friendly, much more uh, 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 likely to be able to be useful, you know, the ability now to pay for my groceries or pay for my rent or pay for my energy. And this is another thing that I did. Uh, another claim to fame, built the first uh, prepaid vending system for electricity with, uh, uh, with Bitcoin. So you can now be anywhere in the world and you can go and top up somebody's electricity meter uh, with Bitcoin. So can you see how these services now are just making it so much easier? It's like the internet. You know, I remember, again, in the 90s, I had an email account being a computer science student at Rhodes, but my friends didn't. So uh, you know, I was saying, you've got to use email. It's amazing. I can send information. Their question, how do I get the internets? How do I use, you know, where do I plug in? What do I do? Given now that email is on your phone and you don't have to be studying a computer science, same thing. You can now one day, uh, in fact, uh, Bitcoin wallets exist. I hope all of you guys are starting to right now download a Bitcoin wallet. Um, but uh, given this, it's making it easier and simpler and, uh, uh, and uh, much more uh, useful to actually go and use it and all these other things that are going on. So can you see how there's a big something going on? I mean, if you weren't aware of any of these things, does it doesn't feel like the, the ground is kind of shifting a little. Okay, this is all happening. And uh, in a given a year or two, it's going to be, uh, when we go into a store and they don't accept Bitcoin, you're going to be surprised. You're like, ah, these guys are, are, are losers. Okay, this is, by the way, what, the, what it looks like. You know, have you ever used SnapScan? Well, that's how, exactly how you go with Bitcoin. Instead of Snap scanning, you know, or, or whatever, uh, you can now go pay with Bitcoin. Um, and so I'm going to make sure that this happens for you guys. Okay, I'm doing it for you. All right. Okay, um, now... The question is, uh, 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 okay, fine. Now I've told you why Bitcoin is cool and interesting and useful and, uh, and you should get into it. But actually, it's much, uh, there's much more than that. I mean, that was the pull factor. But now there is a lot more serious things going on in the world outside of Bitcoin that are pushing people into something like this, where people are feeling the urgency and the need to get out of the existing financial system. Whatever option it is. What do I, you know, give, give me an alternative and I'll take it. And I'm going to now go through those. In fact, I'm going to just splash them all onto the screen and I'm going to talk about each one of these things. So the first thing is negative interest rates. Can you believe such a thing exists? You know, where a third of global bonds are now have negative interest rates. Some banks uh, are, um, are imposing negative, negative interest rates on savings. Great if you want to borrow money, you know, and that's the whole point of negative interest rates, you know, so we can get more money to be borrowed. But, you know, if you have savings in bank accounts now, it's more worth your while to take your money out, put it into the mattress. Um, so people are now, uh, this is one of the issues that are, are happening around the world. I mean, this is unprecedented. It never happened before in history, a negative uh, interest rate. Uh, you know, I mean, it was crazy enough being on, on zero interest rate policy, but now we have this negative interest rate policy, and it's really uh, unsettling a lot of people. And they're thinking, okay, hang on, I'm not getting any, anything for my savings. What can I put my money into at least so I don't get de uh, uh, negative interest rates? And that's why gold, I think, is going to be, uh, come another asset that uh, you're going to start seeing, you know, the price is going to go up and the more demand is going to happen um, because of, of this one. Bank bail-ins, you know, that happened in Cyprus, you know, some banks now in, in Europe and around the world have actual uh, rules to say if the bank starts, uh, it gets into trouble, that they are allowed to bail in. In other words, take a cut of the, of the, of the money to give your, your account a haircut. Um, this is a, another issue that's happening. And uh, we saw this a few years ago when Cyprus 
uh, it was having all its bail-ins and then the price of Bitcoin started going up, not necessarily because uh, Cypriots were buying uh, Bitcoin, but just because the world thought this is a crazy situation. If your money's not safe in a bank, then uh, what should we do? And uh, the price of Bitcoin went up. Hyperinflation is actually an a very real issue. Now, there are uh, charts that you can go and find. If you just go and look on the Reserve Bank, the, the, the Federal Reserve, or if you look at even, uh, there's a very good site. It's called um, um, Invest, oh, I just forgot now, I'll, I'll remember it. But what you can do is you can go and see the money supply of every country in the world. And they are all having this exponential curve. You know, since 2008, when, uh, when we had the, the US had their, 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 their financial crisis, did you ever hear of quantitative easing? All that meant was suddenly all this money started getting printed. And uh, the price, uh, if you just look at the, the inflation rate, um, there was an exponential uh, inflation in the, in the supply of money. And it's not just the US. It's every country that you look at, even South Africa. And it looks exactly like the, the rate of inflation that Zimbabwe went through up prior to 2008. So hyperinflation is, is, a, is a coming. It just doesn't feel like it uh, yet, I guess, because of the currency wars that are going on, you know, competitive devaluation. Also, the, the US dollar being the world reserve currency gets to inflate all the, uh, um, export all that inflation. So hyperinflation is an issue and we see that happening in Zimbabwe uh, we saw it in Zimbabwe but we see it in Venezuela and we see it in other countries and you know that uh, uh, Zimbabwe wasn't just you know the only one there have been 57 cases of hyperinflation in the last hundred years so given a currency system where you can just go and print as much as you like and that's what the system we have today where it's not linked to gold it's not actually linked to anything it's just paper at the end of the day or, 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 or digits in a, in a, in a computer program um, it's very uh, attractive uh, from a, a central bank point of view, a government point of view, to, to print money. And that's what's been happening over the last decade or so. And, it, and uh, that is going to uh, mean that our currencies are, 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 are devaluing. Then there's the war on cash. You know, the India famously a few weeks, a few months ago, was it? You know, uh, uh, demonetized 80% of the cash in India. But demonetization, in other words, uh, removing uh, uh, notes from, from uh, circulation is actually a trend. You know, the, Australia is talking about uh, uh, eliminating a $100 note. I think it's the $100. And uh, same with the U.S. Uh, Sweden is practically a cashless society. You know, if you, if you are spending money, uh, physical cash in Sweden, you know, it's, uh, you're considered, you know, that you, you know, that you're a shady character. So the fact that people now can't even uh, uh, use cash, uh, you know, it means now suddenly you are going to have to be trapped into a system where there's going to be fees and there's going to be... Um, um, you know all sorts of uh, obligations on you, and people uh, are you know don't want don't want that. So uh, it's another just another trend that is happening uh, where people want freedom and uh, are going to want some kind of alternative where they don't, are not forced into a, a banking system. And then geopolitical uncertainty and, and, and risk. You know, there's just so much uh, a, a danger it seems in the world today. You know, if you just think about the Middle East ongoing, you know, with Syria and you know, the, there's a lot of people who just feel frankly, you know, that. Things are, are, are unsafe. So, you know, what do we do? Do we, do we stay with our currencies or do we think about some other uh, asset that we can hedge against all this uncertainty? And again, gold and silver, I think, are going to come back and we're going to remember that uh, gold and silver are money, real money, intrinsically valuable money. Uh, and, uh, you know, because for the last 45 years, all of us, I guess, in this room have been cultured to think that gold isn't money anymore. But um, uh, uh, even now, Greenspan, I've been noticing, you know, he first in the 60s, you know, he was all about gold. And, and he, one of his famous quotes was that 
uh, gold protects you against inflation. Um, then he was suddenly the chairman of the Federal Reserve, liked his money printing again. But now that he's off that and it's not part of the administration anymore, that's what Ben Bernanke said. Remember, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be uh, uh, independent of government, but Ben Bernanke admitted that uh, he was part of the administration. That's why he did what he did. Um, even Greenspan right now is saying he's all going gold bug again and talking about how gold is going to protect you against uh, uh, what's coming, this inflation that's coming. So can you see how uh, uh, we now the trends are shifting? Uh, uh, out of this fiat money experiment, which is now seeming to, to be falling apart, and uh, uh, we're moving back into what's called the sound money uh, system. Sound, I mean, we're not, we're not moving there now, but people are now thinking more in terms of that. And if Bitcoin has the same properties as, as sound money, being um, uh, uh, finite in supply and all those other things, well, now in this digital era, this digital world, we now have an alternative. In fact, a lot of people say, I prefer gold because it's physical and tangible and, and this makes me comfortable. And uh, gold doesn't have, I mean, Bitcoin doesn't have that. But actually, that's a feature that Bitcoin has on top of gold. You know, gold is physical, which makes it less useful as a medium of exchange in this digital world. Bitcoin is exactly like gold, but now it's digital. So it's actually better than gold. It has an extra feature on top of it. Um, also, the unbanked. I mean, 80% of Africans are unbanked. They're not going to get banked. Uh, um, you know, they mistrust banks, and also they just uh, might not be, might not just, you know, it's not a business case or whatever it is to get them. And so, but they want to, they want to transact in an e-commerce uh, e economy. That you know, they want to transact if, uh, efficiently. Cash is expensive and inconvenient and insecure. So this is now a, a potentially a, a good tool for them to be able to do that, to be able to now have a mobile device and suddenly now be able to uh, receive uh, funds electronically and send funds electronically, especially remittance. You know, uh, again, you know, if you, send, if you send money from South Africa to Malawi, I think it's, you're going to pay 20% with Western Union or MoneyGram. You know, um, imagine now uh, you could now send uh, your money, uh, if you're Zimbabwean and you're sending it back to, to Zim, you know, your 1,000 Rand or whatever it is, you're not going to have to pay 200 bucks uh, uh, as a remittance cost. You know, I'm going to pay, you know, to five rand or whatever it is that it costs. So, and a very important uh, notion as well. So, can you see how, given all the positive aspects about Bitcoin and the way the world thinks about it and how useful it's becoming, given all these things, now you might attribute uh, uh, levels of severity to this in your own way, but these are notions that people are feeling. If you just do research and if you just do a survey, what's, what, how people are feeling, these things come up all the time. Maybe some of these you don't, aren't bothered by, but it certainly bothers some segment of the population and they want to find an alternative, alternative to the system. Now, the alternative in Bitcoin, of course, isn't as good as what we have in terms of uh, you know, Visa and MasterCard and, and Swift and all that. But it is an alternative. It is a, a, a hedge against the, the, uh, the uncertainty. It's, you know, it's some way that you can protect yourself against all these things that, are con uh, that might concern you, even if it's just one of them. So... Uh, those are the, 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 the things that are going on. This is why we're now in this very important shift, you know, the societal shift. This is almost like a civilization thing where we were on a system and uh, we're moving off it. And again, the system, it's not like since the beginning of time we've been on this fiat system. It's only 45 years old. And uh, uh, financial systems don't last forever. They have, I think, a 45, 50-year-old time span anyway. So it makes sense that now we should be entering into a new era with a new kind of financial system. If you go back in history, every 45 years or so, there was a, new, uh, a different kind. Um, well, here we now have an, another sort. And we know all things don't last forever. And uh, 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 there certainly seem to be a lot of positive attributes in, 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 the, in the Bitcoin case and a lot of negative aspects in the way things are uh, currently. 
and uh, this is what's driving people. But let's, let's move on. So now, by every metric, by the way, and I showed you some of the, the, the positive things about Bitcoin, but if you measure Bitcoin uh, by any metric, by the wallet users, in other words, people who are now starting to download Bitcoin wallets and starting to get Bitcoins, or um, the number of transactions, uh, this is just transactions on one, uh, 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 yeah, this is the uh, Bitcoin transactions. Um, you, you can see that by every one of these metrics, and this is basically what's called a hash rate, meaning just the processing power of the uh, decentralized network. You know, all those computers processing those transactions? That's the, the chart showing you how many people are contributing uh, resources to this and how secure this network is becoming. The higher that chart, the more secure. So by every single metric we can look at, we can see that, that Bitcoin is not fading. It's growing. And uh, uh, the only thing, the question that you must ask yourself now is, uh, how much should I invest in, into Bitcoin? Uh, if you had seen that other chart, of course it's volatile, and I'm going to look at the, the, the volatility now, and I'm going to explain it away. Okay, so this is now, I mean, I, I got into Bitcoin way before even this chart begins, so I've definitely seen these bubbles uh, time and time again. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm used to this, how this works. But um, there's a lot of reasons for this. You know, uh, in any sort of new idea, any new technology specifically, you know, this kind of uncertainty is always there. You know, people aren't sure if this thing is going to be legit, if it's real, if it's going to be legal. Um, because the, the market cap is so small, about $17 billion, you know, very few people actually own Bitcoin right now. A couple million people maybe on the planet. Um, and uh, uh, it's quite easy if you want to, you know, if you want to, if you have a, a, a thousand bitcoins, some people, early adopters do, and you maybe get tired of holding bitcoin and you want to cash out, if you dump all those bitcoins on the market, you're going to make this price is definitely going to, you know, be affected by it. So having a very small, a very shallow kind of uh, uh, market, it's very easy for this price to go up and down in times of uncertainty and in times of exuberance. You know, every time there's a, a news from China that they're banning Bitcoin or Russia or whatever it is, the price tanks. And whenever you hear about a new retailer or a new you know, company or new whatever accepting Bitcoin, suddenly the price goes up because, you know, the price is the free market and it's, uh, uh, it's quite easy, you know, in the, in the shallow market, in the small market cap for that price to go up and down. But more than that, this picture looks exactly like every single other picture when evaluating uh, 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 something new, some kind of technology. And uh, we've, we've heard about uh, the Gartner hype cycle, and I'm going to show you the Gartner hype cycle. I'm sure you even can see it now in there. But I don't know if you can see it. It's very faint, but there's a red line uh, against that. That's the NASDAQ. The Na Remember the dot-com boom and, and, and crash back in 2000? Well, it, you can't see it now, but it pretty much mirrors that Bitcoin price uh, exactly. Um, Gartner says that every time you have a new tech, it's going to follow a pattern. There's going to be what's called a tri tech, trigger technology trigger where things get started. We're going to reach the peak of inflated expectations, and then suddenly reality kicks in, and the world realizes they're not ready for it, and there's the plunge into the trough of disillusionment. And then slowly we climb up the slope of enlightenment to reach the plateau of productivity. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but those are the the uh, uh, main major points there. So Bitcoin, by every metric, is looking positive, plus it follows the Gartner hype cycle exactly, uh, according to every other technology that has ever come uh, before it. So if anything, Bitcoin is following the rules exactly. Now, blockchain, I, thought, I feel, is right at the top of that uh, curve. I think Bitcoin is much further along. You know, um, I think right now we are going to be uh, seeing, I mean, of course, in the short term, there's going to be volatility, but um, I think we, and this, by the way, this chart uh, is actually old. I mean, it's almost reached its all-time highs. 
And uh, 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 I think now we're going to see a slow and steady uh, 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 rise in the price. Um, I think more merchants are going to be adopting it. Uh, more people are going to be looking to invest in it as well as things like gold and silver. But Bitcoin is way more convenient and simple to, do, to use. Uh, because it's got a built-in transaction mechanism, you know, a, a built-in medium uh, way of exchanging it. Gold doesn't have that, you know. Um, so I think we're going to see this trend uh, uh, keep going. And uh, uh, I think uh, not to be one who'd ever give investment advice. I'm definitely the wrong person. But um, I think that uh, uh, Bitcoin is here to stay. And it is only going to grow. And it's going to become stronger. And it will be a way that you can protect yourself from what I and, my, and others are expecting to happen, which is what has happened throughout history, where the system current, the status quo becomes fragile, and then eventually everyone loses faith and confidence, and that's essentially what gives it value in the first place. Um, and I think we're going to move, move into this new paradigm. Now, uh, uh, I'm not going to say to you guys that uh, you must give up everything and you, know, you must uh, uh, lose faith completely in the system. Um, and, uh, and from a regulatory point of view, you know, I'm working with regulators and working with the Reserve Bank because I want to have this come along in a, in a legitimate way. I, want, I don't want there to be you know, uh, cowboys out there who are now suddenly money laundering and doing all that stuff, although this is all possible. Um, I, I know that uh, uh, this, is un this is unstoppable, but I would love to be able to um, ease it into the world and make sure that at least you know, whoever's in control, and at this stage we have our government and our, and our reserve bank, that let, they at least can have some measure of control about what's going on. And the only way that they, they can do that is by regulating the businesses like mine that are uh, allowing people to use this. Um, and I think that's the right approach. Now, as a as treasury, again, I said that earlier today in the blockchain talk, but if this really is money, and if people are going to want to be paid in, in Bitcoin, and people are going to want to spend in Bitcoin, well, then maybe you need a new column now in your spreadsheets that instead of having rands, it has Bitcoins, or whatever it is, you know, maybe figuring out how to build that into your systems. Because um, uh, we see uh, how, uh, I think it's Quick, is it Sage, or one of those companies are, are now allowing uh, have Bitcoin integration into them. So, you know, you can see now it's, you know, it's, it's going to become part of your world and one day you're going to have to, you know, have your books and you know, there's going to be Bitcoin in there somewhere. Uh, at least I think so. Okay, so that's pretty much my, my sales pitch, if you like, on, on Bitcoin. Not that I'm going to, if you buy Bitcoin, I'm not, in, I'm not going to benefit or I'm, it's, not, it's not my business, but I do see the value in it and I do think that it's a prudent move on your part. Um, uh, given all that other stuff. And, uh, and um, I think what I'll do is I'll end there. Uh, and again, if there are any questions or anything like that, <laughs> feel free to ask. Yes, sir, right at the back. Okay, so other cryptocurrencies there are, because Bitcoin is what's called open source, so anybody can create their own currency, and we see that there are lots of them out there, um, because again, this is just an idea that can be copied. 
Um, but I think that you know, Bitcoin is different. Uh, Bitcoin is less like MySpace, what MySpace was to Facebook, and more like what TCPIP was to the internet. Um, you know, uh, if you remember back in the 90s, anybody remember there were things like Prodigy and CompuServe and AOL, and they all were trying to create their own little uh, internets. Um, and what happened was this big public protocol that everybody started using, TCPIP, became mainstream. And the more people used it, the more valuable it became. And now it's kind of embedded in our lives. I mean, all networks now operate over TCPIP. And I think that Bitcoin is the same because, um, you know, Bitcoin is, is a much greater network effect. More and more people are using it. And uh, uh, it's going to become, very, and as it becomes embedded in systems and apps and software and all that, you know, it's going to be difficult to, to, to change it. Um, and if uh, everyone is using it, then it becomes the most valuable network. Um, that's not to say that another coin might not come along and say, look, we have different features and we work better. It, it might very well be. I'm not 100% tied to Bitcoin. I just think that uh, right now Bitcoin is the only one I'd consider. And also being the most widespread makes it the most uh, secure and also impervious to change. Uh, a lot of these coins that are being created now only have a couple people who are running the, the network and it's very easy for them to collude and, and uh, you know, make dodgy things happen. Also, uh, a lot of the times people start a, a new currency, they keep a lot for themselves and then they say, okay, I've created a new coin, but secretly I've got millions, you know, and, and then they start playing the markets and then speculators make the price go up and then they dump. It's called a pump and dump and you see that often with uh, coins. So, I mean, uh, if a new coin comes along, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to uh, entertain it. But right now, I think Bitcoin is, is the, the only one I'd certainly consider. Um, and then the barriers to entry, um, you know, there are no barriers to entry. If you've got a mobile device, you can download an app right now. All of you could do it right now. And suddenly, you, you're, you now have access. You can now earn Bitcoins. You can spend Bitcoins. There's zero barrier to entry. And you don't need to register. You know, all these apps, most of the apps don't have an account that you need to create. It's just a digital wallet. Um, and then uh, the th middle question was, uh, I don't understand it, um, something about, uh, sorry, I, just, uh, I didn't make sense with the context. Yeah, I think I was just wanting to explore the, the effect of, of other currencies coming in and, and um, whether or not that would um, or could lead to the issues we have with fair currencies at the moment. Um, uh, if, if there's well, those currencies, by definition, if they're a blockchain currency, are not mm -hmm. issued by anybody. They, they are a natural byproduct of the network functioning, like Bitcoin. So nobody issues Bitcoin. Bitcoin, once upon a time, there was zero. Uh, well, actually, they started with 50. But what happened was, um, as the, the transactions got processed, every time they were, that block of transactions was processed, brand new Bitcoins got created through the rules. Now, those rules are fixed, and so there's a very clear chart of supply that you can calculate, and you can see how that's going to work out, and nobody can manipulate that, that supply. So we, it's very predictable, it's uh, finite, and there's no central body or entity who can now go and change those rules. So it's like gold. We don't know how much gold there is on the planet, but we know there's a fixed supply, um, and we know that eventually we'll reach the limit of that supply. So it's almost ties in with what you were just saying now. So you've spoken about hyperinflation and uncurred printing of money and how Bitcoin has its upper limits to the number of existing Bitcoins. So, but I don't understand what is the physical basis for this upper limit 
because I mean, we can also take gold from asteroids, for example. Um, so is this really out the limit for the number of Bitcoin? Uh, is this really a part, intrinsic part of the system, or what's the basis? Yes, that's a good point. Uh, gold might not be finite in supply if we manage to mine asteroids. Or if we manage, you know, it also the, the supply could, suddenly there could be an enormous amount of gold we just suddenly find at the bottom of the ocean or something, um, which could disrupt market value. But Bitcoin, being a, a software, uh, it means that the rules are, are, are like mathematical. And uh, it would, it's impossible to, for that supply, rate of supply to change. And it will eventually reach zero new Bitcoins coming into the system. And you cannot change that. It's, it's hard-coded into the system itself. Now, you could decide not to use that system and use another type of currency that has a different rate of supply, or maybe it has infinite supply. There's another blockchain called Ethereum. And right now, they, that, that's the sort of number two blockchain currency. The, the currency is Ether. There is no fixed supply for Ether. Uh, so it depends, again, if you want to now uh, use the Bitcoin system, well, at least you can be confident that the supply is fixed and predictable. Yep. Hi, so I agree Bitcoin can be an investment. I don't particularly agree that it's a, it's a hedge. Essentially, a hedge takes away my risk. What I'm doing now is switching my risk from one currency to another currency. So if you're an organization wanting to move a lot of money from one point to another, yes, it would facilitate that, but I still have a, I have a risk. So why don't we see a secondary derivative market in Bitcoin yet? Which is future market of optionality and is that coming? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, we see those kinds of products now being uh, imagined, you know, the ETFs and the investment trusts, and I'm quite sure that maybe somebody will start, you know, the, uh, uh, creating some kind of product like that. I think that the problem is, though, especially from an institutional point of view, is that, uh, you know, uh, regulation is grey around Bitcoin. You know, a lot of uh, companies and businesses are reluctant to engage in Bitcoin because it has a kind of bad image, and also because there's no clarity on what it is. You know, even the reserve banks, our reserve bank, can't really define Bitcoin as money, which means that if I am a Bitcoin business and I take your Bitcoin, I'm not receiving a deposit. I don't have any uh, obligations, you know, that sort of obligation. If I'm, so, so right now, because of that ambiguity, uh, uh, I think there's going to be a, a time before, you know, a large organizations or, or people who want to offer those sorts of products uh, decide to actually dive in. And, and do that. I think that's a matter of time. While why we're living in this grey zone, you know, this uh, this um, uh, uncertainty. But now, uh, hedges are, hedges, of course, are never sure of things. I mean, all hedges have a risk, but it's just your your risk appetite. You know, you want to shift risk into one a a asset, and you want to balance your risk out. Now, of course, Bitcoin. You know, when I say it's a hedge, uh, like I think it, when I say it's a hedge, I think it balances out the uncertainty in one respect. But of course, it creates uncertainty in the other. But I think that the two hopefully will you know, complement each other and, and reach equilibrium. 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 Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating topic. Um, can I ask a dumb question, and then one which I think is maybe a bit more intelligent. Um, so the dumb question is, I've got one rand in my pocket. Can I buy one 14,000 for Bitcoin? You can. Thank you. Um, uh, so the second thing is, I'm just trying to kind of apply this from a, if you like a practical, how does this apply in Africa? And I can see challenges and opportunity in 
in equal measure. So, so I work in the banking industry. We we work a lot with aid, humanitarian, that sort of thing. And, and the challenge they have is getting value into the hands of the people that need it for them to buy goods and services. So I'm trying to think. Okay, so uh, so we put Bitcoin into the process. How do you how do you how do you set up an infrastructure to support those in need for a sustainable kind of improvement in their life around the Bitcoin merchanting thing? And I suppose it's a bit like Empaza. So you go back 10, 15 years, that's, that's the challenge that Empaza had, is that it's great loading value onto something other than your physical wallet, but had no means to spend it. And I think that this in Africa is the challenge we have. So we've come a long way as a continent in terms of the mobile wallet and, and that kind of cashless type of thing. But I'm just a bit curious in terms of where you see this may go in a kind of Bitcoin practical application. Mm. Well, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the, the, the aid type thing because I'm actually involved with that very thing. Um, uh, UNICEF have uh, taken an interest in a project of mine where you can now d uh, fund a school's uh, energy directly by sending Bitcoin directly to the meter. Um, and so there it's a perfect use case because donors can be confident that the money is going directly to that thing because the payment is auditable on the blockchain, it's transparent, and it went directly to the energy. It didn't go to some organization that then took fees and, and you know, diverted the cash and you know, so um, a, a very important aspect about Bitcoin is that you can be confident that if somebody has an address, which is that Bitcoin account, that the money will get to them. And uh, that's all that's required on their part. Um, but of course, again, then we have a chicken and an egg problem. If people have Bitcoin, you know, how do they do it if you're talking about your M-Pesa? And that's what needs to happen. Bitcoin is not going... If everybody used Bitcoin tomorrow, we'd have a huge problem. First of all, it wouldn't scale. It wouldn't reach that. But also, what do you do with it? You know, you can't pay your rent. You can't uh, buy a petrol, a petrol pump. So there has to be some time. And I think it will, again, be years before Bitcoin becomes usable for the mainstream. Um, you know, the same way the internet slowly became usable to everybody else. But it definitely opens up uh, incredible opportunities in terms of direct funding for things and ensuring that that uh, uh, money can go directly to a recipient instead of being diverted or going to some organization that then you know, opaquely distributes the funds. So I'm very interested in that notion. And if you ever want to hear about that project of mine, uh, uh, I'm being fortunate enough and I'll, and I'll boast a little bit, but uh, I'll be speaking at TEDx in Switzerland in April about that very thing, how Bitcoin can help with uh, donor funding where donors can now be confident that the money that they're sending is going directly to the cause they believe in at low cost Without going, you know, via some intermediary. See, Swift is uh, one of the. Uh, you know. I, I have a question regarding yeah. the uh, retail payments uh, use mm. case that you mentioned. Because mm. um, I, I want to understand what is the problem exactly, exactly that Bitcoin is solving. Because uh, today I'm very happy with the process when I go uh, to contracting fried chicken or to my supermarket and I take out my. Credit card, debit card, or even I can take my iPhone and tap it, mm. and it's real time. But I understand that uh, the chains of the blockchain it takes up to ten minutes until it's processed and the uh, transaction has been uh, confirmed. So I'm wondering what is your point of view of me waiting ten minutes mm. to cashier until my Bitcoin transaction. Yes. Okay, so first, the first thing is that the the payment systems that we have today, like your ta tap to pay or your credit card 
are more efficient and cheaper and, and easier to use if you have access to that system and uh, if you are confident that that system is going to be the one that maintains for a long time. So what Bitcoin is doing right now is it's saying, yes, you, for someone like you, uh, 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 what we have now is an alternative if you want to use it for any of the reasons that I specified. Now, uh, um, people who don't have iPhone tap to pay or whatever, uh, people who only work in a cash economy don't have bank accounts, they don't have access to what you've got. So what we're doing is we're saying Bitcoin can provide a, an option for somebody who doesn't have access to all those great things that you've just described. Now, in terms of the payment and the 10 minutes, now, have you ever been to a retail store where you've swiped your card, it's checked your PIN, but it hasn't authorized the payment in the back end? It, it lets you go through immediately. That's because that retailer said, at a threshold, I'm going to allow uh, payments to be immediately authorized without me having to go back. Now, Bitcoin can be exactly the same thing, and my merchants are exactly the same way, where at the threshold, I detect the payment on the Bitcoin network. It's not confirmed in the, in the block, but I'm going to take the risk that that low value transaction for 50 Rand, 100 Rand is ultimately going to be confirmed. And I can allow the customer and the merchant to be, be notified that, yes, the payment's been made and can release the goods. So I'm taking that risk on myself and I'm saying I'm happy for that to happen up to a threshold. If somebody wants to buy a Ferrari from me and they're going to pay a million bucks, well, I'm going to make them sit and wait for an hour before the, you know, I, I release the car. So I think those types of solutions are going to happen. But again, just remember, Bitcoin isn't something that's saying, look, the system we have now sucks. It's saying, look, now we have an alternative. And perhaps one day that alternative will be competitive with the way things are currently. Maybe it will be more efficient. Maybe it will be cheaper. You know? But at least it's, it's an option for those people who you know, either want out or just don't have access to the system in the first place. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, I can do that. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. You've got me buying Bitcoin. It's just me. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Job well done. Thank you. Okay. okay. Yes, okay. I'll create a PDF and send it over. Will you do that? Okay. Yes, of course. Right. Thanks, Artemis. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, cheers, cheers. Thanks for everything. No, my pleasure. Thank you.